0: Welcome to Serious Fun, a podcast where we have serious fun conversations about life, society, culture, and health. It's Brooks here. This week, my guest is Eric Blackwell. Eric has spent nearly a decade in the software world where he currently contributes as a product manager. He's the owner of Spark Woodcraft, where he uses creativity and a lifelong woodworking practice to produce uniquely personal gifts, of which I have a few, and they are fantastic. He also practices as a creativity coach, helping other coaches effortlessly monetize their purpose by merging their fascination and their expertise. As you'll hear in this episode, he's quite passionate about cultivating creativity in others and letting fun guide the way. We chat about working hard versus working easy, the power of creation, and how to follow your creativity to improve your performance. We also have a bonus clip at the end where Eric describes his experience seeing my live storytelling performance called The King Says Yes. I'm excited to present this serious, fun conversation with Eric Blackwell. Enjoy.
1: Water drinking, but I imagine you don't want to pick up a whole lot of that. Energy. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna limit the water intake. Why is that? Um, you know, the physical obstruction of the microphone <laughs> for one, and also the sounds that you'll pick up of my lip smacking and water and. The cap and the chair and all the other movements I'm making to reach for it. So,
0: well, if anybody hears this, just know that we're sitting in your office. Mm-hmm. You got a very squeaky but really nice chair. <laughs> you want to drink water every now and again, uh, and that'll require you moving the microphone out of your face every now and again. That's true. That's not so bad. Uh, I agree. I've sat through way worse in a podcast. Interesting, dude. If if it if it if the conversation is worth listening to. I'll, I'll make some exceptions. It's very rare. That's true. Like, for example, sometimes you'll forget and uh, the, the way that it gets set up is only in one ear but not in the other, which is so hard when you're listening on headphones to hear somebody only coming in through one ear. <laughs> or if your car is like mine and the right-side speaker is blown out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes yeah. it much, much more difficult. Yeah. So, like you said, it, it's not so bad. I think people will be fine with this. Okay. Um, so, we're going to have a very serious, fun conversation today. And there's only two prompts. So, uh, by this time, people already know your bio. They know who you are, they've, they've learned your name, they know all the things that you do, mm-hmm. but they don't really know a lot about your story, about who you are. Okay. okay. So, um, let's start here. Let's start with how we met, where we met, okay, what what you, your life was like before we met, and what's been going on since we met. <laughs> Is that enough? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, that's a that's a good start. Yeah, let's do that. Cool. So give me the beginning of that, that prompt again. Where where are we beginning? Where did we meet? We met uh for the first time in a house in Fraser, Colorado on a men's retreat called Live and Lead run by Chris Marhefka uh primarily although lots of guys facilitated cool parts of that experience um yeah so we met as uh, everybody was unloading the van coming in from the airport I believe and uh, yeah we got to spend the next couple days in a in a container together going through some interesting interesting things, Mm. a large variation of experiences.
0: Yeah, because a lot of the people that I've interviewed on this show, and I imagine by the time that we're getting to this episode, none of this has been released at the moment of this conversation, y'all. None of Serious Fun has been released at the moment of this conversation with Eric Blackwell. So people are going to hear quite a few guests that uh, I'll I'll have referenced the retreat a few times, at least the live and leave live and lead retreat. Okay. So some people have been interviewed on this show. So who was Eric before we met at the retreat?
1: Who Eric before the retreat, um, was about nine months into the beginning of a personal development journey. Year zero essentially. And, um, had some better tools to understand what was going on in his heart and in his mind and and how to bring those things into alignment, but um, was lacking the 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 space to practice alongside other people who are up leveling themselves. So uh, we, yeah, we got together in that house and things started clicking. Um, things that previously felt difficult. there was there was still obstruction they they started to become much much easier as i saw things in other people that i admired things i wanted to emulate um you know everybody brought their own little cookbook and it felt like we we found a nice balance in that house where everybody was was offering things and was also receiving things um constantly it was a, it was a flow of ideas and energy that helped to unlock some things was getting in your way the idea that you have to work at something to be successful at, that you have to put in extra effort you have to you have to grind mm. um yeah that that really <laughs> something I, I have from like i think from childhood and from school is yeah okay cool you're smart and you can do math and you can do these things really well. But if you want to be successful, what you're going to need is to push mm-hmm. and go above and beyond what feels easy. Because you need to challenge yourself. You need to go hard. And the harder you work, the more successful
0: you'll be. Mm-hmm. So here's, this has actually come up quite a few times in conversation on this trip. The idea of ease in your work mm-hmm. versus uh, like the feeling of grinding. Um, I've heard it said, uh, you know what happens to things. You know what happens to things that we grind. We turn it into powder. And so the more that we grind, 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 the more our soul, our spirit, our mental, emotional state, the more that that starts to become like powder. That's not exactly what we want. We want some solid foundation. Another thing that I've mm-hmm. really noticed is that. It's hard to grasp the idea that you can work easy mm-hmm. if you haven't worked really hard. If you haven't struggled with uh, or been challenged with work with the story that you have to work, work, work really hard to get the results and that in some way your results are tied to the effort that you put in, mm-hmm. that has been a big unwind for me that things can be easy. And it sounds like that was a big block for you that got to be removed at the retreat.
1: Totally yeah uh and it was it was simple stuff that helped me to see that it uh was the breath work it was returning to things that your your body does naturally and then doing them intentionally and uh i found that as we we practiced more of those things there was the ability to translate what went well in one thing into another thing that then unlocked Something else in that second experience that then would beget a larger third experience, so it was a lot of pieces that were, they were coming together, and, and it was something greater than the sum of its parts.
0: Mm. And a lot of, it is like a domino effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in uh, I've heard maybe like Julian Pino, who's a strength coach. He has a company called StrongFit. Uh, it's fucking awesome, but he he uses this idea of what he calls the key log. The key log. So, in the logging culture, you send the easiest way to send logs to the logging facility is to send them downriver if you have that option. Mm -hmm. So, you start sending logs downriver, and then there's a a log jam. Yes, the jam happens, the obstruction happens, right? And so, there is a person whose entire job is to be the person that finds the key log the key log the key log to <laughs> remove that will uh, uh, res- like remove the obstruction because Ooh, if you you, what if a cool you don't job. dude what a cool job but if i gl- i love it because it's problem solving and it's yeah. puzzles because you can look at something and the immediate instinct when things are stuck is to start tearing things apart to start pulling logs out left and right right instead Another alternative, and this is what he was getting at, is let's let's be with the obstruction for just a little while, and let's observe it carefully, yes. and then that, let's remove the one the one minimal, the one small change mm-hmm. that's going to make everything easier. Finding <sighs> that key log. You are learning as we're going, right? I love that. This is my favorite part of the show. <laughs> my favorite part of the show is for us to get on something, and we start te- teaching each other as we're doing this in real time. Yeah,
1: for as much uh, woodworking as I've been doing, it's... Uh I'm disappointed in myself for not knowing more about that. <laughs> the actual lumber is is milled, and I, I knew about the the downriver stuff, but the key log concept mm-hmm. is is new to me. that's mm-hmm. that's fascinating.
0: And that's what happens. once we can remove that first key log and and as i'm I'm painting the picture for both of us and for people that are listening, the key log for you is believing that your uh, result was tied to the effort and the hard labor that you put in. Mm-hmm. You remove that. and then, of course, you start flowing again yep, and then you get jammed again yeah. and you get to get another key log out. So we've, we meet at the retreat. You're, uh, going through this transition where things you don't, you're, you're getting over this idea that everything has to be hard mm-hmm. and you're moving into a new phase. What does that look like?
1: Ooh, the creation age. Uh, that's where I've been ever since. Um, I I learned on that retreat that my I have two superpowers. First is fascination. If there's something I'm interested in, I will pursue knowledge in that space endlessly. Mm. Um, and there's no there's no effort involved when you're fascinated by something. Everything is effortless. It's easy. And so um, as I learn to tap into what fascinates me and then understand why it fascinates me. I started to learn how I can create in that space because creation in a space where you're fascinated is also effortless. It tends to flow right out of you. So, um, creation has been my, my focus ever since then. So for the last two months or so, uh, I have spent time every day creating something new. Um, often with other people, I love collaborating and working with others to help unlock things in them and shape up ideas together. Um, and that's led me down some really cool paths uh, in the software space, which is the, the space that I occupy for my day job In woodworking space. I've been reteaching myself some graphic design and some other things that, you know, just more tools in the tool belt so that I can go create the coolest things possible and be able to apply as many different skills as as I can to that experience.
0: How was that different than how you were operating before?
1: I was allowing my output to be tied to my income. Mm. So I was heavily invested in the outcomes uh, of my job. How well is this product that I'm building performing? How well am I able to address the pain points of users and solve problems for them? And uh, there are myriad factors obviously in any business um, that are going to influence how much they invest in improving their product and in solving these problems for people and so as resources were slowly diminishing at this job and uh, expectations were left at the same level uh, I became frustrated with the disparity between what was expected um, and what was being provided and obviously the victim mentality stuff starts to come out in that, in that scenario where you're like, well, what am I supposed to do to get you these results? If this is all that I'm able to, um, put into, uh, into something like this, these are the resources that are available to me to get the result that you want. And I found, um, that people became, their expectations were lessened, um, about what what our output was going to look like because they understood that our resources were diminished, but my expectations didn't change. Mm -hmm. I still wanted to make an impact, and so I was tying myself up in the results of my job uh, and my personal worth and what I was getting done um, (laughs) getting done, right, in quotations, as uh, something that gave gave me value, gave me meaning, gave me fulfillment, and I was putting way too much into into that arena where I had limited control over the outcome. So um, ever since then, I have learned to produce outcomes for myself in other things. Mm. Uh, Some of that is, is diving into things that fascinate me and making it feel really easy. Some of that is focusing on stuff that's smaller. The stuff that I'm doing for... Uh, software is very is very big it's uh stuff that's happening at at a pretty massive scale like there are billions of dollars that flow through the system that i'm working on on a daily basis and um, I, i needed to bring the scope down a little bit and focus on creating something with my own hands that then i could hand off to somebody
0: dude you're touching on a point that's been really hot lately with me, and uh, it's might've come up on an interview on this show, is being able to separate our work from our profession. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, the way that I've started to separate it, at least in my mind and and my uh, imagination is that this will help provide some clarity for people that are experiencing that pain point that you're describing, which is you've put so much investment in your profession providing mm-hmm. you with the inner sense of happiness and fulfillment that it's not uh, it, you've put too much uh, pressure on something to pr- provide fulfillment for you <laughs> yeah so most uh, uh, like let's just be general here most of us would prefer that our work and profession overlap yes one if no if for no other reason that it's very efficient mm-hmm. I'm, I'm receiving uh, the value that I want from the work through my profession awesome Okay. Um, but for me, our work is something that's like a something that's much larger. It's a very huge scale, mm. and you're likely contributing to it in uh, relationship to lots of other people who are doing similar work that's meant to serve not just the uh, life that I'm living now, but the life after that and the life after that and the, the people that continue on after us. Bingo. So that's our work. Whereas our profession, um, or our job, quote unquote, can be either the thing that provides the work, or it can be the thing that fuels the work. Mm. And that's been a big, di- big shift for me lately: is understanding that. Because uh, then, if it's a fuel, you take so much pressure off of what you're supposed to receive from it. Right. Right. You're not now no no longer going. Oh God, man! If 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 only my job were different, I would feel better on the inside. <laughs> You know, and it's like, oh no, okay. What I can do instead is say, all right, what am I really about? And if for you that's like creating, well, I want, I'm going to give you space to answer that. I'll answer that for myself. Like, what is my work? Mm -hmm. My work is to uh, awaken people's unique genius through the power of story. I believe that if I can help awaken people's individual genius one person at a time, because you never know which one singular person is going to turn and and put, like, the megaphone on it or, like, give you an exponential return on that investment. Treating every person like that exchange could possibly change their world and, therefore, the world of people around them just by giving them that personal time and attention. And if I can wake you up to your unique genius… And help you provide help provide some clarity on where that genius fits into the larger whole of things, and we're doing that right now by saying, "Hey, your genius may not be your profession. Mm-hmm. Your gene, your profession can allow you the stability and the energy and resources to then turn it around and put it out into your work." Um, and so I put so much pressure on my profession to provide that sense of fulfillment in the work that I've realized that I've actually possibly limited the amount of work I do because I'm not uh, uh, not as uh, capable through my profession. I don't have as much resources. Mm -hmm. Maybe I've sacrificed time. Maybe I've sacrificed resources. And I've put my profession between me and my work. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a big learning curve for me is like, oh man, you know, there was like a big resistance to like, Taking a job and like working for someone because I have a very free uh, spirit and I'm very, uh, I, I like having things my own way and it's very entrepreneur of me and, and where, where I have room to grow going forward is seeing like, man, I could actually change professions and, and get more work done because I do that. I can yeah. actually use that as a way to wake up more people's unique genius. I can now have – I never have to stress about money or bills or making sure that my business is operating a particular way. I can actually take a lot of those responsibilities off because they were keeping me from doing my work. Yes. So, yeah. I, I mean like I'm, uh, I'm kind of putting the cart ahead of the horse here because I know your story. But like you're, you were putting so much pressure on your profession – Then you started focusing on creativity, which is actually your work. Mm -hmm. Creating awesome things and providing that for other people that things have gotten easy. Things don't feel as hard. And it's just so strange to me how we can just make that one. It's the key log. You make that one subtle shift and things start to flow and feel easy. So um, removing this idea that you had to work really hard that it had to be hard was like a first key log. Mm-hmm. You've started creating. So what do you feel is like your work? What are you really serious about?
1: <laughs> uh, well first, I, I believe that anything worth taking seriously is worth making fun of. Mm-hmm. So I only allow myself to take things so seriously before I you know, look at them from the absurd side and then kind of laugh at them. Uh, but what I've been taking seriously recently is the concept of effortlessness and how you can make everything feel effortless based on how you approach it Um, yeah something you you were you were just talking about really resonated with me Um, you were talking about how people put so much on their their professional role and um, this conversation i've been having with a bunch of people recently is about how, yeah, their their job is supplying lots of different things for them, but it's also their friend circle. Uh, it's like, you know, it's where they get a lot of their social interaction. Like, there's other stuff that gets tied up in it uh, that I feel makes people uh, overly invested. And then they have a hard time separating. Like, wh- what part of this is still fun for me? I, I like these people. I like what I do to agree. But you... You're held back by this belief that you need to, you need to maintain this this thing. So, um, I've I've been breaking down those barriers recently. Um, my attachments to things, and as I become less and less attached to stuff, things get easier because um, I've left outcomes behind. I've I've left my attachment to things going a certain way behind, and then I can flow into situations and uh work with people in in a very open way where like really anything is possible so the question that i love to ask my coaching clients and the thing i ask myself every morning is what am i creating that is going to outlive me and i i've had people uh mirror that back to me as like oh yeah your legacy no legacy is very very different legacy is a narrative Legacy is likely what you're, what you're attempting to create, how you want to be remembered. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we wake up every day and we interact with others. We create in everything that we do and conversations that we have. Like I, I look at every meal that I make for myself as a creation, right? It's an experience. So I want to work with people on a level where we are we are flowing into the things that fascinate them we're creating effortlessly and that is then creating those ripples that like you said start touching other people and awakening things in them and your impact is amplified because you're you're connecting on a very genuine level with someone about something that that truly like fascinates you you, you don't have to put on a mask and talk about like the way I would talk about credit card processing numbers at work like that's not something that charges me up so when I get to sit down and talk about dinosaurs, space, woodworking, all these things that like I find so interesting, um, it shows other people that it's it's beneficial for them to to look in into themselves and find those things. Mm. And so even if we're not connecting on like the same topic, right? I'm talking about dinosaurs, and you can see my enthusiasm coming through. Like, oh man. It's really cool that you feel so strongly about dinosaurs. Um, I don't. But then they ask the question, like, what does make me feel that way? Mm -hmm. What brings that out of me? And then that is a very easy transition into what do I want to create in that space that's going to be here generations from now, Mm -hmm. that's going to live way beyond my years and um, snowball into something much bigger down the road that I I could plant the seed for now.
0: Yeah, and it's amazing that, like, that structure or that thing that lasts beyond our lifetime, but we may not actually have to be the ones who create it. Mm -hmm. We can contribute to it through our own unique genius. And that's the part that's so, for me, challenging, is I had built in this belief, and a lot of it is rooted in ego, or or wanting my legacy, wanting Mm -hmm. my story to be remembered a certain way, trying to overly craft my own narrative. Uh, And because of that, I was limiting... I was limiting myself by saying I know what's best. Okay, all right, here we go. Okay, we okay. go. By saying I know what's best for me, that's a really tricky statement mm. because a lot of times we know how we want to feel on the inside, okay? So I know that I want to receive, say, a sense of satisfaction. I know how I want to feel. Then what happens is that we craft and construct a reality that that we believe will give us that feeling. So I'm like, really thinking about my life, all the things that, looking back, I'd say, those were the best things that ever happened to me. Hmm. None of them, I'm gonna go ahead and absolutely acknowledge, none of them <laughs> were how I expected them to look. hmm I knew that I wanted to feel a certain way and by going, oh, I know what that looks like because I'm so smart. <laughs> I know exactly what how I can arrange my external environment to, pres- to provide that sense of security and comfort on the inside. But every time I've been wrong, every time and, – and every time that I've uh, 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 fixed on that, that reality as being the only one that I will accept, I've now just cut myself off from s- – Almost literally everything else that could provide that sense of happiness and well-being. By saying, this is the thing and the only thing, then I have said, okay, well then fine. None of these other things I'll allow to be happy. I'll ne- I will not allow myself to feel happy and fulfilled unless I get this thing, unless I get this toy, unless I get this job, unless I get this partner. Yep. And I can tell you that uh, the person that I'm married to now, and it's like... Far and away the most expansive, love-filled, challenging, heart-opening, gut-wrenching experience of my life, the partner that I'm going to be with for the rest of my life, if you had asked me two weeks prior to meeting her, who is the last – on paper – who is, who is the last person on earth, essentially, that you're going to marry? And she would have fit that on paper hmm. because I knew how I wanted to feel, and I thought I knew what that looked like. So I draw out <laughs> my little sketch, and I'm like, this is my perfect partner, and this is what she looks like, and this is what she does for a living. And, and like none of that criteria fit except I knew she, I was getting what I needed and I wanted because I could feel it on the inside. And it's like, man, you know, how many times do we cut ourselves off from opportunity because we know how we want to feel, and we know, and we believe that we know what it looks like on the outside. Yeah. Oh
1: man, that we we want we want things to be easy, right? <laughs> we don't want we don't want to be challenged. Negation acknowledged. We don't want to be challenged. Mm. Um, I enjoy a challenge, but I I prefer things to be easy. But then things come easy. And you feel, you feel guilt, right? You feel that like, (laughs) uh, that feeling that like, oh, that was, that was too easy. Mm -hmm. Why? What, what about this is, is wrong, right? We don't allow ourselves to feel, uh, feel ease Mm -hmm. in a lot of situations. So it's, it's really cool, uh, for you and your partner that like you guys have found a way to grow together through, um it sounds like through challenging each other in ways that you hadn't anticipated, but ways that bring out the best in you.
0: Uh, I, we were hanging out with one of Hallie's friends. I think actually now well, I, I could always interview her via digital, but it was probably a missed opportunity for me not to interview her in person. Her name is Linda Addis. And she um, is one of the co-founders of the revolutionary women and the moon society. And mm-hmm. um, she said, I think it was her, it doesn't really matter. Maybe it was an, another friend, but basically it was like uh, in life you get what you don't want. Like <laughs> like life gives you what you don't want in order to receive the lessons that you need. And I, and I was like, "Huh." Hmm. You know, it's like like you effortlessly somehow attract in what you don't want because it's meant to challenge you to step into like getting what you actually want in life. Uh, And I'll have to I'll have to go back and I might be misquoting. It might not have been Linda, but somebody said that I'll have to talk to Hallie. But like, yeah. And oh, okay. It was my friend Chance's wife and she's from Thailand and in Thailand. That's exactly right. My bad, Linda. Uh, But you're so awesome. I want to interview you, too. Uh, uh, My friend Chance's wife. Yeah, she's from Thailand. uh, And she said in in Thailand, we say we get what you don't want. And She was describing her husband, my friend. And she was like (laughs) he was he was not what I wanted yeah but i got him because it served me in my growth in my in my development and now i'm like the happiest woman i've ever been and like i'm 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 seeing this as a a growth opportunity and by being given what i didn't want it taught me the lessons that i needed to move forward
1: <sighs> that's that's beautiful i love that she
0: was she nailed it yeah really nailed something uh and another like my dad said it to me once he he said, Brooks, man, sometimes – he didn't say man. <laughs> He's a little <laughs> more – Brooks, sometimes in life it's good to know what you don't want or what you don't like. And yes. I think that was after taking a job that I didn't really care for, that I knew had an end. You know, mm-hmm. It was going to come to an end. Uh, it was like an internship or something. And I was like – he said, but that's good. Like It's good that you know that you don't want to do that because you just as easily could have graduated and fallen into this job then, and now you're in a situation. So in life what we get, uh, we can get what we don't want, but it's not because it's bad for us. It's because it's good for us.
1: I've spent a ton of time recently defining another uh, activity. I've been indulging in just definition in general, defining as much as possible, Uh, but specifically defining what I do want. And uh, I found that to be very difficult because I spent my whole life up to that point, mostly focusing on what I don't want. We, we learn very early on uh, in our lives, you know, how to say no. I don't like that. I don't want that. Um, But when someone asks us what we do want, you know, when you're a kid, I want that toy. I want some ice cream. I want this candy. I want to go on the playground. It's very simple. As you get older and there's more and more factors in play, what you want, um, you can lose sight of that really quickly, but it's easy, right? To fall back into, well, I know I don't want this. And so what you start to shape uh, is this world that is. Focus on all the things you don't want and so you you get into a lot of avoidance practices i'm guilty of that for sure i've been working a lot of those out in the last year um and like you said you, you get what you don't want i think there's there's an energetic attraction to that like when you're always spending time defining what you don't want recognizing the things you don't want becomes really easy like you see examples of them everywhere I don't want this thing to happen. And then you see that happen to a friend or you see the possibility that that could happen to you in an experience that, you know, is, uh, coming up in the near future. And then you start mitigating against the risk of, uh, that thing happening to you Mm -hmm. and something that you don't want to occur.
0: Dude, the, in science, they call it the RAS, right? The reticular activating system. Uh, the, the, the standard thing is like you, you buy this car in red, uh, and then all of a sudden you see the same car in red everywhere and you thought you were the only one that had it. <laughs> but because you're you're looking out for it now, you start to see it everywhere. Yeah. And and your reality starts to conform to the version that you're setting out, which sounds really radical, except it's not. When you're focusing on all the things that you don't want, then you're looking for all of the stories that confirm that you're getting it. Bingo. <sighs> uh, and, and that's where it is such a big shift is because our brains – haven't been trained. The average person's brain hasn't been trained or taught to look for confirmations of the things that they do want. Um, but there is like, okay, look, there's confirmation bias where we start to like uh, uh, try to shape the result to fit our ideals, um, and that's a whole mm-hmm. different thing. And mm-hmm. that happens in science all the time. We want the result to be a certain way, so that but the data comes back, and we try to make the data fit the result as opposed to just seeing the data a, in an yep. objective way, um, and okay i want to loop this back to where we started which was the sense of like working really hard i i think what will be really impactful here is to show we started with the belief that we had to work really really hard and our and our result is tied to our effort Mm -hmm. and we go about it so long that we start to really get a clear sense of what we don't want (laughs) Yeah? yeah, but it, it's only because where we was tried my effort it. wasted? Yes, but it's only because we tried it. It's only because mm-hmm. we can look back and go with tw- hindsight. Being twenty twenty, I would do things differently, and this is how I want things to go in the future. So, if if you're just starting out in some hustle and some job, and and you're given the advice that it's got to be easy all the time, I think that's not very. I don't think that serves that person that well mm-hmm. because it's it's possibly uh, keeping them or shielding them from lessons. That they need to have that awakening and go. This is actually what I don't want. Yes. But you can't know that unless you're putting it into action. You can't know that unless you're in, unless you're trying new things. And if you're afraid to fail, and that's a conversation for a whole nother day. If you're yeah. afraid to fail, then then the idea that you would go try something new because you're gonna fail a lot, and everybody knows that. When you try something new, you're gonna fail a lot. <laughs> and 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 if you are not equipped or desiring, desiring to fail, you're a void. And yeah, then you start, well, what do I want? Well, I don't really know. So I'm just going to go in what I don't want. And then the world starts to conform into that bias of like staying away from the things that we don't want. So yeah. one way that I've helped people break out of that one tool that I found really uh, valuable is to help them rediscover their sense of play. Through something that's fun, Mm -hmm. and the place that I like to start. You were talking about the create as a creation coach. You start to you know guide people in those early questions. My early question was, how did you like to play as a kid? How Mm -hmm. did you like to because if I ask people what they do for fun now, most of the time it's like, uh, you know, like something topical. Maybe I I go to exercise and I go do this with my friends, and it's all the things that they think I'm supposed to that that I want to hear from them as a coach. You know, well, I like to exercise. No, 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 no how did you play as a kid and then they go oh i kind of i love to play video games okay great like now that we have this let's see if we can use the things that work for us as a kid to inspire the adult version to get out of our own way to get out of the work mode to allow that creativity to come in and that playfulness to come in. One thing that I've noticed about Eric since I've been here is this dude loves games. Yeah, you love games. Staying with you and your wife has been so much fun. We've played Settlers of Catan. Uh, Settlers of Catan. We've played the Wii. Like, so what is your relationship to fun? Where does it fit into your life and what do you like to do for fun? Oh, dude.
1: My my motto is follow the fun. Follow the fun. It's It, it sounds so simple. Uh, because it is, I I believe that if you tap into your inner child, right? You were just talking about how, like, as a kid, how did you play? How do I'll, I'll go one step up and say, how do all kids play when you are with a toddler? Right. And let's say you have a niece or a nephew, or you have your own kids and you're watching them play with their toys. They'll play with a toy so intently and then something in them will like a a switch will flip and i'll be like i'm done with this toy i want to play with this toy and they put it down there's no guilt there's no like they're not quitting on that toy right mm. they're just they're more fascinated no. by this other toy
0: oh my god <laughs> quitting on the toy is <laughs> such a home run statement that is so <laughs> true oh i don't want to be a quitter yeah oh my god that hurts let's let's skip over all the sunk
1: cost fallacy science that goes into that uh because that's a whole different discussion and focus on on how how a child actually plays they they float from one thing to another and they do it without attachment so as a as a toy you know as they as they use a toy and they have fun with it they burn through all these ideas. They they play out all these scenarios, right? They take a a doll or a, a I had a bunch of dinosaurs. I had a bunch of like Ninja Turtles. Those are big for me growing up. Oh, dude! Um, and you play with those, and then uh, you you enact these scenarios, and you let your imagination come out of you through these things. And then once you've the scenario is over, you drop it and you move on and you do something else. You pick up the next thing that looks fun. I'm going to put down the ninja turtles and i'm going to pick up the nerf gun right and then i'm going to move into playing with the nerf gun until that loses its luster and then i'm going to drop into something else kids do that uh without any attachment and it's it's fascinating for me to watch i i love watching uh like i don't have any nieces or nephews yet but i do have a lot of younger cousins that i got to watch grow up and that was always something i really enjoyed was watching them play with toys mm. because uh it's so easy for them to make that transition from one to the other and so when i'm coaching people and i talk about following the fun uh the structure that i've given it is this thing, is this thing called a creation sprint and it's time that you schedule for yourself where, uh, normally how it goes for me, every Friday morning, I wake up, I go through my morning ritual, I do some breath work, I do some pour over coffee, I have something that like, you know, grounds me and gets me focused on.
0: Grounds you. Yeah. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I,
1: I get very into it and I get very attuned to, okay, what do I feel like doing today? What sounds fun? And then the first thing that comes up, I do that thing. And I do it. Until it stops being fun. The second it becomes work. Or I find that I'm having to put in effort. We'll come back to effort. Um, If I'm putting effort. Into doing this thing. It's time to switch it up. I'm going to put that toy down. And I'm going to pick up the next toy in line. I'm going to pick up the thing that looks the most fun. And I'm going to do that. And there are plenty of days where I bounce around. Between three or four things. For hours and hours and hours. Because I'll be... Doing some sort of like video editing, right? I'll be like, all right, I'm I'm just not feeling this right now, like I've I've used up my energy for this, and I'll go out in the woodshop and I'll start building something, and then the wood shop, uh, you know, I'll be sanding or I'll be doing something like really monotonous that's not as fun, I'm like okay, I'm gonna stop sanding, and I'm gonna go back to the computer, and now I'm gonna design, uh, something, you know, do some graphic design work, and then I eventually make my way back to the video because something pops into my brain that's like ooh here's a way to make that fun again. Here's something you can do that you weren't doing before. That's going to bring back that enthusiasm. Mm. And so I ping pong between all of these things. And I love that mode of allowing myself to say, this isn't fun anymore and stop in that exact moment and move on.
0: Yeah. And some people will say, well, I don't have the luxury Eric of just stopping when it's fun, sir. Mm. Uh, and here I'm gonna I'm gonna play some devil's advocate. I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with myself. I I do that so well. The <laughs> argument is, well, I don't have the luxury to do what's fun all the time for me. I need to get this done. I need to get that done. Really, I think what you're doing is using the framework of how children play. Hey, look, some kids they get engrossed for one in one thing for hours on end. Mm-hmm. I knew kids that that's how they played. Yep. What you're noticing and maybe what you did and what you see in other kids, uh, what you see in other people, is that like you actually benefited from putting something down and going and playing with another thing and then putting that down and playing with another thing because what it did is it provided a spark for you to return to that thing. And and that actually is something that uh, when – As an exercise coach, and I think that uh, I'm imagining at this point in my life, being an exercise coach is no longer my profession. Hmm. Um, But one thing that I did notice is that when I tried to describe play and the importance of play, a lot of times people were like, well, I'm not getting anything done. And they imagine that since they're not getting anything, there's no like they're not accomplishing anything. Yeah, Uh, uh, They're not receiving a result that it is not that there's no utility to it. And that's actually not true. By any sense sense of the imagination, Um, the utility of what you're describing, the being willing to put things down and shift gears, the utility of that is that it provides some space for creativity and inspiration in that task. So let's say I'm now the person that's making the argument, Eric, I don't have the luxury of doing what's fun for me all the time bouncing back and forth, what I would say to that person, if you are that person listening to this show, is this. Imagine that we do that with our work. We can compartmentalize our work into different types of tasks. Maybe I got Mm -hmm. like administrative tasks. Maybe I have more deep dive things where I need to be like fully engrossed because I, you know, I can't, you know, there's things that I can do with different levels of attention. Mm-hmm. One thing that I learned from our mutual friend who works uh, on your squad and one of my, fa- my uh, f- the recesses uh, resident house cat, Mr. Cameron King, is that he actually has very much given so much practice to where his attention goes and the cycles that his energy and attention will go through. And so he knows that really if he allows himself, uh, he can really only allow himself about 90 minutes worth of work. And there's a cycle where you have to kind of get ramped up to that peak attention. And then you can hold that peak attention for maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes, but it might take you 30 or 40 to get there. So if you're, if your attention is disrupted at minute 20 and you haven't gotten to that thing, it's not like you can just jump back in and pick up the curve where you left off, right? You have to start the curve over again. So here's what I'm getting at is that We don't have to use the language play or fun for someone if it doesn't resonate with them. The principle that you're getting at is if you have things that you are doing, toggling between them might actually be a really good idea because you can receive inspiration and leverage the – mag. you can optimize your attention and your energy by seeing, hey, I don't have to grind through these emails. I don't have to grind through getting this thing done. I actually can – produce better work by putting my uh, putting the task down when my attention has no longer uh, uh is no longer focused and a cue if you are doing work that is fun for you is that the fun will go away a substitute for the person that says they don't have the luxury for fun all the time is noticing when your agitation level goes up with the task that you're in
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When
0: your agitation level goes up with the task that you're in pause put it down take a break go do something else, even if that something else is a five-minute walk in your building, even if that's doing a stair run, even if that's just doing some movement standing up next to your desk, building in these noticing, being trained enough in your own body to notice when your energy has shifted in a task, intervening sooner, and then shifting gears in order to keep that going. I think that I, I really wanted to rant on that rant on that and we'll talk about that I wanted to rant on that because it's easy to discount the advice based on the language and yeah. If somebody goes, oh man, this guy's all about fun, and I don't have the luxury for fun, they're mi- they may miss the advice. Yeah. Which is like, hey man, your your attention your attention and energy changes and flows, and like the more you learn to tap into that, the better off you're going to feel. It's going to feel easier, right? Because yeah. now you don't spend as much time in that like, ah, uh, fuck, uh, you know, push, push. Ah, <laughs> yeah. So that's really what I think yeah. the power of this message is.
1: Let, let's. This just came to me as you were saying that. Let's uh, let's frame it in. Maybe something that is a little bit easier for uh, a fun, I won't call you guys fun-averse, but uh, people who are less focused on the, the word fun. Let's call it disrupting positively because agitation disrupts negatively, right? Agitation gets under your skin. It starts messing with what you're doing. It's this undercurrent that is like this low vibe stuff that pulls you down, right? So let's disrupt positively. Movement perfect example of a way you can disrupt positively and uh we both find movement fun mm-hmm. so that's something that's really easy for us uh I, I used to do personal training as well and that was another thing i would always challenge people with with their exercises if you're not enjoying this how are you going to make it a practice yeah if you come in every day and what you do bothers you and is an obligation uh, you're not celebrating your body you're not celebrating your growth you're grinding your body down you're beating it into submission to get results for who what what <laughs> What are you building here while you're at the gym are you building a body that other people will admire are you doing that in a way that is making you feel awful or is dragging you down like what? the outcomes are so important and I think if you focus on <sighs> getting clear on what your outcomes are and recognizing when your your work towards an outcome has become a source of agitation, disrupt it positively. Disrupt it positively in whatever way that you can. I love using fun as a frame because I know when I'm having fun. It's easy for me to tell if I'm having fun. Uh, and <laughs> Likewise, it's easy for me to tell when I'm not having fun. So for me, it's very black and white. It's, uh, I know that I wanna be in the white Space in the you know the where I'm in the white magic space and not in the the dark magic space, so I, I guess that's uh, that's a way you can choose to frame it if you like. Disrupt positively uh, if something that you're doing is no longer enjoyable. Uh, you can take time to recognize why it's not enjoyable, or you can say, "I'm just going to put this down. I'm going to put down this toy because I recognize that I'm not having fun with it, and now I'm going to find a way to disrupt this." energy that has entered my space that is agitating me and i'm going to make it positive instead
0: dude i think that's the perfect way to end this show
1: beautiful thing i like it we'll I get a volume too soon i
0: think we fucking crushed it <laughs> <laughs> i think we crushed it um y'all it has been such a pleasure to uh get down and, and sit get to know Eric a lot more intimately over the last couple of days. Um, the work that he's doing, uh, and I again, they have a brief overview of, of the things that you do, but mm-hmm. the thing that you're working on right now, one thing that I'm very excited about is the app that you guys are building for Enlifted. Mm-hmm. Are you able to talk about that a little bit?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd love to talk about the mission of the app and, and less about the the A to Z yeah, you know workflows that. and that things like that. That'd be a great way to close. Um so I got involved with Enlifted early last year. Um early this year. Twenty is been a long for those year. that don't
0: know, Enlifted is.
1: Enlifted is a coaching certification. Um it is also a course that you can take uh, if you the coaching element of it is less interesting than the course content. Um both options are available but and Lifted is a way of using your language and uh, the components of your language specifically. I like the definition that it exists within the system for your language and the, and the pieces of it uh, to change the way that you think and to then use that to springboard into developing yourself further uh, by using an architect mentality. So... Uh, as opposed to focusing on what you don't want, right? All the conflict, you focus on what you do want. And I know how simplistic that sounds, so I would encourage anyone who is interested in the stuff that we've talked about today uh, or any of the other guests I'm sure that you've had on to go in and check that stuff out. Yeah. Because you, it, what it gave me is so unique to me and what I needed. And where i was when i took it so i encourage people to to interact uh with that type of content and then see how it lands for you but where it really helped me was in fostering an architect mentality understanding the components of my language that were detrimental to that mentality the, uh, the can'ts, the won'ts, the, the nevers, maybe the maybes. Yeah. All the stuff that introduces doubt, the softening of your language,
0: or I always this, or I never that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And start speaking in, uh, a way that is pointed forward, pointed you, the way forward is in. Mm -hmm. That was something I heard early on in this course, working with, working with Mark and Adam, um, the, the deeper inside you go, um, the more readily you can pull answers out of yourself to figure out what forward looks like. And so um, what we've been developing for the last eight to nine months is this this core workflow of a, an app where we feel we can scale a lot of the elements that are introduced uh, to people via coaching and make them accessible in your pocket because coaching is expensive um and coaches coaches are people they have limited amount of time that they can spend with you working on things and uh, my objective whenever i was coaching people uh in in creativity and in personal training i want to make myself obsolete i want to work with someone for no more than six months at a time before like We are either done or we take a serious break and recalibrate. I have zero interest in working with somebody who needs me to get the results they want. I want to give you the tools so you can figure that stuff out on your own. And then you can look within to find the answers for how you move forward.
0: Just like an app is a technology, I feel compelled to share that language is a technology. Absolutely. Writing is a technology. They're old. Pretty Mm. ancient technologies, but they are technology, and so they're a way for us to create things to make things easier. And so, um, most of my huge upgrades in 2020 and a lot of 2019 were facilitated by using my language as a technology to upgrade everything in my life yes and in lifted does that very very well Mm -hmm. and although it is simple simple does not mean easy simple to execute does not mean that it is easy a lot of times we have to take a hard look at the way that we're using our language to put barriers between what what we what where we are and what we want and um, once you really tune into the 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 language game then you start understanding the next level which is responsibility mm. uh being responsible mm-hmm. for your language and being responsible for your life and language is an incredible technology for assuming control of both and so if what we've talked about if what eric and i have talked about so far on the show resonates with you go over where can they find more about Enlifted?
1: uh it's a good question is the, it uh, yeah it, it might be in dot me um, let's check but it out if you search for enlifted i'm sure you are you here we will are
0: enlifted.me enlifted. e-n-l-i-f-t-e-d.me enlifted.me if you're interested in this uh, in this program you can get a free discovery call you can talk to a badass coach and even just the discovery call is going to really change the game for you mm-hmm. um and and i know that this app is going to be another uh, awesome extension to the work that you guys are doing so i appreciate you coming on the show and sharing about your story dude
1: absolutely man thank awesome. you for having me i uh Look forward to talking about some of this stuff again in the future.
0: We've got got much more to dig into. Can't wait, brother. That's it for this show. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this serious, fun conversation with Eric Blackwell. This show is brought to you by you. If you'd like to support the show, you can rate it five stars, leave a kind comment, or by sharing it with a friend. Stick around for that bonus clip, and we'll see you next time. So, dude, tell me about The King Says Yes.
1: Oh, (sighs) let's talk about how I experienced The King Says Yes. Uh, I experienced it in the retreat house in Colorado where we were uh, with 20 powerful motherfuckers.
0: X-Men. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Everybody, uh, we packed a lot of uh, power into, into that house and uh, at the end of one of the days, I don't remember which one it was. They they all had their own unique kind of feel.
0: Yeah, we had the cacao uh, day, the heart opening day. Ah, it was okay. Friday, yes. Uh, Saturday. Um,
1: yeah we we sat down for a talk. That was how it was framed. You were going to give a talk, and I had, uh, I guess expectations about what a what a talk was, and what I got was a storytelling performance that had lessons baked into it that come through in the story uh, so what i what i really enjoyed about the king says yes was obviously the message the king says yes <laughs> it's an easy uh it's an easy thing to to practice um but i also got to see your enthusiasm for that concept and how it had translated into experiences in your life that led to expansion, right? That, that, uh, I like to think about staying open, right. Remaining open. And occasionally I think about just kind of cramming a doorstop in to remain open, make sure nothing, nothing closes again. And watching you perform that, uh, helped me help me see what it's like when when you don't have to put the doorstop in like you stay open because you recognize the power that that has to bring things into your life that then are going to allow you to choose your path uh, with let's call them better options than you would have had otherwise or at least a greater awareness of how those those options uh, suit you and where you want to go.
0: So what would you tell someone who's on the fence about whether or not they want to invest in the money in the ticket to see it? Ooh. Um, (laughs) Say yes, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's easy. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I.
0: I, Because they're probably thinking like, dude, what? what, I mean, it's a story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, it's just a story, right?
1: Just a story. Oh, man. Intentional. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm setting I, I you up, bro. bro. <laughs> it's just a story, right? No, it's bigger. It's uh, it's a lesson. It's a sermon. Oh, a shit. Don't even. <laughs> oh, man. Put a... What oh, I recognized yeah. as okay. I was watching it is this, is this is the first of many Brooks sermons I plan to attend in my life. Whoa. And, yeah, watching you relive that experience and... To see uh, the enthusiasm come through for the message because of how that message has served you, hmm. yeah, man, it uh, it's stuck with me, and <laughs> I have been I have been saying yes to a lot of things recently um, that previously I, I would have I would have said yeah oh, maybe that sounds that sounds cool right that's what we do we soften things uh, culturally. Uh, because it's it's less severe, we don't like being severe. We like being accommodating and and friendly. Uh, say yes, say yes, do it. You'll enjoy it. I'm Beautiful.
0: confident of that. Beautiful. Thank you, man. Appreciate yeah, you, Eric. Of course.